0: Welcome to Upthinking Finance, a podcast that offers a unique and discerning view of economics and financial planning. Here is your host, Emerson Fersh.
1: Welcome back to another edition of Upthinking Finance. I'm Emerson Fersh. Robert Francis Kennedy once said, Few will have the greatness to bend history itself, but each of us can work to change a small portion of events. It is from numberless, diverse acts of courage and belief that human history is shaped. No matter where you happen to be when you're listening to this episode, I think we'd all agree that 2024 feels like a defining moment in time in history, really that will determine the immediate future and probably the following generations, the conditions in which people live. There's, I think, half the planet's got elections this year. Certainly, most of us are at a point now where we've come to question certainly what we've been told the last three and a half to four years, but in cases like myself and others, what we've been told and taught our entire lives. Trust in institutions, government, corporations, religion, others are at all-time lows. And the people that I seem to be finding myself drawn to are those who are starting to realize that it's time to let go of the idea that we're going to go back to the pre-COVID life we had and instead it's time to move on with a different set of values, different set of priorities, and really a different vision for the future. And so today's guest is one of those people who is looking to change our path and is really one of the most courageous women I've met. Her name is Dr. Tess Laurie. She is the director of eBMC Limited and the founding director of eBMC Squared CIC, which is a community interest research company. Tess also serves on the steering committee for the World Council of Health, which sponsors the Better Way Conference, which is why I became acquainted with a number of the people that we've had as guests on this podcast in the last seven or eight months. Tess is committed to improving the quality of healthcare through rigorous research. Her range of expertise, based on experience in both and developing nations, uniquely positions her to evaluate research for a variety of healthcare settings. Tess is a frequent member of technical teams responsible for developing international guidelines, and her peer-reviewed publications have received over 4,000 sightings. Her ResearchGate score is among the top 5% of ResearchGate members. Tess envisions a healthier world in which science and learned wisdom are brought together to empower people to take responsibility for their own health. She believes that what defines us as human beings is our capacity, desire, and freedom to choose. We can choose to live in fear and separation, or with joy, trust, love, and compassion together. So it's my pleasure to welcome today, coming to us from Bath, UK, Dr. Tess Lowry. Tess, welcome to Upthinking Finance.
2: Thanks very much for having me, Emerson. I'm looking forward to our conversation.
1: No, me too. So I think it's really important. You have, I shared in my intro that you're one of those people that has the courage to change the vision of where we're all headed. And you have a really unique background, particularly your former connection to the World Health Organization and kind of the journey that's led you to where you are now with World Council for Health. And so I was thinking maybe that'd be a good place to start just to kind of Give everybody a sense of the journey you've gone through in the last four or five years.
2: Thanks. Well, I trained as a medical doctor in South Africa, and thereafter, I also went into research. Most of the work I did when I was clinically practicing was in obstetrics, And I've also got clinical experience in the UK. I have this experience both in undeveloped countries, sorry, I'm struggling to find the word there, no, developed and less developed settings. I've worked in some of the busiest hospitals in Africa, and I've also worked in clinics around the UK and hospitals here. So a very diverse background. And since 2012, I worked as a consultant to the World Health Organization as an an external consultant doing what's called evidence synthesis. Now, this is a sort of niche area where you evaluate bodies of evidence and sort of summarize them, and then these evaluations inform whether or not to recommend intervention or not. And then I would help to draft the documents put it into what's called an evidence-to-decision framework, and we'd guide panels of stakeholders from around the world to making a decision whether to recommend or not recommend medical intervention. So that's what I was doing as through a company called the Evidence-Based Medicine Consultancy Limited. It was my own company, and we was a small team and we had no conflicts of interest. So we never did any work for pharma or anything. It was only nonprofits and a lot of work for the World Health Organization. Then COVID came along and it was clear that the WHO wasn't recommending evidence-based strategies. So I was very alarmed by this and I thought, well, you know, this isn't right. How can I influence the decision-making and strategies? But, you know, it was a different department to the department that I worked in. WHO is obviously a massive institution and there's all the different departments and the The COVID department was completely different to the one that I was working in. And although I knew some members of the team or the names or had worked distantly, I didn't have a hotline to them. So anyway, I sort of bided my time and was trying to think of ways to help. And then it became clear that early treatment was, there was a lack of awareness that there were various treatment options available and evidence to support this. So And evidence synthesis was needed to look at these bodies of evidence. So I looked at the work on ivermectin, the studies that had been done, and I did a systematic review, a rapid one, to see whether there was sufficient evidence to support using ivermectin, which clearly there was. And so I set about alerting the WHO as well as other organizations like the NIH and the FDA and the UK authorities and so on. So, and they didn't pay any attention. So I became aware quite early on that there was corruption around the interventions that were being promoted and the interventions that were being withheld. Ivermectin is a cheap, safe old medicine. It's been around for 40 years and it's it's got a safety record that's absolutely impeccable. There's less adverse event reports against Ivermectin than aspirin and paracetamol, acetaminophen than any anything else. And of course, the vaccine industry, this novel vaccine that they'd brought out that didn't have the safety data and the long-term data, uh, was a billion-dollar industry. I personally, I mean, you're in finance, and I personally know people who were saying, I'm going for my next jab now and I've got shares in Pfizer and so on. So people were hugely incentivized because they knew that Pfizer would be making loads of money with these vaccines and other companies, of course, Moderna and so on. And by the same token, we had people like Bill Gates saying, go and get your jabs and nobody will get out of this until everybody's vaccinated and so on we know that he'd also previously said he makes 20 dollars to every dollar he invests and in. Vaccines. So it was just clear to me there was something very wrong. And the more I looked into it, it became obvious that our regulators and the WHO are hugely funded by pharma and individuals like Bill Gates and certain states like China and the US and Germany. And there was this big push. There was just this one strategy that was being promoted. And no matter how much we tried, we struggled to get the information, because obviously I was part of a group at that point of international doctors and scientists wondering how we could get the word out to the public. I have left out a small point in this story, and that is the experience I had with Dr. Andrew Hill. Who was a consultant to the World Health Organization, and he was tasked with doing the systematic review on ivermectin. And he seemed to be going quite slowly and not really be that fit for the task. Having not done a Cochrane review before, by the looks of things, I didn't see anything that he'd done that was similar. And so I suggested we collaborate, and we had a meeting. But he went ahead and published his own review which was quite flawed, in my opinion, on preprint server, which is not a peer-reviewed process. It's just, you just put it up there on the internet. And governments around the world then subsequently used that to support their position of not to roll out ivermectin. So it was a hugely influential review. And when I sort of cornered him on it and said, why have you gone ahead and published this and why are you saying in the review that ivermectin can't be used until more trials are done? He confessed that his findings, his conclusions had been influenced by his funder and his funder was UNITAID, which is a Gates-linked body. So I became aware of that corruption and I thought, well, we just have to get the message out. And that's how the World Council for Health came about because those of us who were aware of this and we were wanting to reach the people, we needed a platform to reach people. And so we launched the World Council for Health in September 21 with the COVID at-home treatment guide, which is this document here. Mm -hmm. It's available on the website and can be downloaded. So that was how we launched. And then it just went from strength to strength. In the December, we launched a cease and desist for the COVID vaccines because we'd been monitoring the vaccines on the WHO's own database. And there were already more than a million adverse events reported by the end of the year so it was clear that we were just unprecedented situation where a harmful intervention was being worldwide and safe effective treatments were being withheld
1: a couple of things for anybody listening or watching is there's a couple of videos we're going to put in the show notes for people to, to reference and i know you mentioned it's also available there are those links on the world council for health website as well
2: I think the links I gave you might be to my Substack article and perhaps okay. also a link on Odyssey. Generally speaking, from the beginning, I've been censored off YouTube. I was never a social media person, but anybody who tried to interview me got the, got strikes against their account. So
1: Well, we can always go to Rumble. Um, <laughs> but I'll tell you what, I watched that link with that Andrew Hill. I mean, I saw two things. I saw a person like yourself with your background and what I perceive, and as I've got to know you, as a genuine desire to help people. I mean, the Hippocratic Oath actually means something to you. And I saw a guy on the other end of that conversation that literally couldn't look you in the eye, who clearly, it was obvious he wasn't answering. These are my words, but he just was clearly in control by being something else because there was just no passion, no sense of urgency. It was really, I mean, that interview says a lot (laughs) beyond what you guys were talking about. So I think I'd encourage anybody to take some time to watch that. So World Council for Health, you have the Better Way Conference, which is how we met. You know, and I think the thing that struck me that was really encouraging about that conference was oftentimes people who start speaking out against the narrative, if you know to call it that on any level, wherever is affected industry-wise or otherwise, gets labeled as some kind of extremist. And what I saw at that conference, people like yourself that I've continued to meet outside of the conference are intelligent people who aren't afraid to stand up. And that's to me, what starts to change that perception. And you start saying, well, these are really bright, educated, smart people who are seeing problems that I've been feeling and maybe seeing in some ways. So how does that, you've kind of let a, a good foundation here. How do we get to the great free set? Because that seems like kind of, certainly it's a, an initiative, I guess you'd say, by the World Council for Health. But it surely seems broader beyond just the health theme. I think there's bigger tentacles that go out into a lot of different areas.
2: In April 2021, it was when I kind of really had the sinking feeling that humanity is in grave danger because a grave danger from a military industrial complex and corporation, corporate greed kind of gone mad. And that's what I thought it was. But in May 2022, we became aware of negotiations were taking place to give the WHO more power in the next pandemic or public health emergency of international concern, which is actually pronounced FAKE, P H E I C. And this was deeply concerning because obviously they hadn't done such a great job during COVID. They hadn't analyzed their own database to highlight that there's a serious safety signal there in regard to the COVID-19 vaccines. They had basically not been advocating for safe early treatments. So one had to look deeper at this. And we saw that there were two documents that were being negotiated. The one was amendments to an existing legally binding international document called the International Health Regulations. And the other is a new document called the WHO Pandemic Treaty or Instrument or CA2+. plus. They keep changing the name of it. But anyway, the one is existing from 2005 and is being amended. And the other is being drafted. And there's been a lot of confusion in the media about what these documents actually mean and how they get adopted. But basically the amendment to the international health regulations is by far the most concerning document because this is already signed and sealed legally binding thing. And they've made a whole lot of changes to it. I'll just show you the document because we have highlighted the bits, the new bits in red, and you can download this on our website it's on the World Council of Health website in policy briefs. If you just have a look at it, I'll just hold it up. I mean, most of the document is read. We've highlighted the changes and virtually the entire document is read. If you just flash it by, do you see? So if this was a rental agreement and your landlord said, we just made a few changes, I hope you don't mind. You don't need to bother to read it or anything. I don't think we would accept it. And actually, if you do look at it in detail, you will see it has far-reaching impact on national and individual sovereignty. It basically gives the WHO the power to clear a pandemic or public health emergency of international concern. The Director General, this is an unelected official of an unelected organization, to declare a pandemic and then to declare who gets the contract to make the vaccines, who gets to determine whether they're safe. They determine whether they're safe. They've got this plan to make 100-day vaccines and who has to shut their businesses. So small businesses, who has to be locked down, travel certificates, pushing for digital identification too. So they really want to and they would get, if this document goes through, the power to mandate things and then our governments are responsible for enforcing them. Now, many people will say, well, our government's not going to do that. So why would our government listen to that organization? Well, through COVID, they did listen to the organization. And now they're seeking to put this legally binding expansion of power in the WHO.
1: So the WHO effectively usurps the NIH, the FDA. Yes. This is just me saying honest stuff. What's the role? Because, I mean, up until this COVID, I don't think I never gave the World Health Organization a second thought. Ideally, what is their intended role? versus what you're talking about.
2: Yeah, so this is total stealth, really. Um, Previously, most people in in Western countries have thought the WHO was for poor countries, anti-malarials and contraception and, and that sort of thing. So it's sort of been this stealth where suddenly COVID comes along and all our governments are singing the same tune and dancing to the WHO's Hymn sheet. Now, the WHO was supposed to just help when there was an infectious disease outbreak and make some advisory suggestions. That was originally its intention. This document removes the advisory role, the non binding recommendations, the non binding nature of the recommendations, and they become binding. So, whenever the WHO speaks and says something, our countries have to follow suit. Its time just seems to fly, you know. They were passed in May 2023 amendments that reduce the time. So the time to reject amendments and the time to implement them. So the time to implement amendments is now 12 months and the time to reject amendments is 10 months. If the amendments are passed in May 2024, these ones in this document If they get passed in May 2024, then there's 10 months for countries to reject those amendments and there's one year to implement them. So if the WHO says everybody's got to have a digital ID card to travel then or X vaccines or whatever it is, then our governments have 12 months to implement that decision. Well,
1: that's a dose Uh (laughs) of... (laughs)
2: <laughs> but yeah, sure. so, so so, you asked me about the great free set. That was really the question. Yeah. I was kind of giving you the background.
1: No, this is really helpful. I appreciate it because, yeah, it's good to know.
2: So we actually produced a policy brief and I highly recommend people go to the website to the policy brief section and you'll see this one rejecting monopoly power over global public health. And there's another one, which is the effects of unregulated digitalization on health and democracy. Now, both of these documents feed into our great free set campaign, because what's happening is that you will see that health agencies around the world have changed their names from health agencies to health security agencies and in order for this concentration of power in the World Health Organization to be effective effectively kind of creating a one world government that's run by supranational entities they need effective surveillance so they need to be able to monitor and control us and be able to influence our health so that's why it's health security it's the health the unregulated medical interventions going along hand in hand with the unregulated digitalization So we have health security. The two things go together. So at the same time that we've had these unregulated medical interventions and then the COVID-19 vaccines, we've seen the digitalization increasing rapidly with this push for 5G. I mean, the one thing in the UK when everyone else was locked down, the 5G vans were out there putting up their new masks and everything. So they didn't have to lock down at all. In order for this plan, this Great Reset agenda to be in place by 2030, they need both the medical access to us and they need the surveillance in place. So the Great Reset (laughs) is a campaign to counter this concentration of power in the WHO and supranational entities. And to get people to realize, to help them extract themselves from a system that's increasingly aimed at enslaving them, enslaving us. Because the Great Reset is, I don't know, you probably know about the World Economic Forum, but they're the sort of figureheads of, but I think there's much behind the scenes that influences the World Economic Forum. But their attitude towards us, and I must stress that they are a minority special interest group, a very wealthy minority, very powerful, wealthy special interest group. They see us really, and they say, quite frankly, that we are the product of the fourth industrial revolution. and We are hackable animals. And transhumanism is definitely is very much part of their agenda. They think they can improve us and they want to improve us. They see us as inadequate and needing upgrading or discarding. Uh, so the ones that are not up to their transhumanist agenda, they want to entertain us with the uh, video games and drugs. So that's it. So they say this is the way it's going, folks. There's only this way and you'll own nothing. You'll have no privacy, but you'll be happy. Can I
1: interrupt you real quick, Tess? Because anybody who thinks, and I've said this before, but it bears repeating, anybody who thinks this just sounds like some fringe extreme group, you go to the partners page of the World Economic Forum and look at all the multinational corporations, household names, JP Morgan, BlackRock, I mean, these are the kind of ones we I focus on because they're in the financial sector, UPS, and it, those are just U.S. I mean, so when you say they're very wealthy, you know, you're right. The sponsorship organizations are household names across the world, corporations that are behind this, that are affiliating themselves with this mission, as you said, that we own nothing, we rent everything, you know, 15-minute cities. And of course, we don't have to go into that tangent, but then the UN's involved with this as well. It's actually pretty insidious when you think about it.
2: This is their big play. You know, this has been a game of stealth for a long time. I would say decades, many decades of increasing our dependence on their products, convincing us that we need all of their stuff and making us fearful of each other. They also need to use their products like bombs and things and weapons and vaccines because the vaccine such a massive industry and they need us to be fearful and get everything delivered at home and not interact with each other anymore. So many people would feel listening to this, oh my goodness, this sounds overwhelming. I don't want to hear any more and I want all those upgrades. I like the idea of living in a virtual reality or having all my food delivered or whatever it is and renting everything because that's the way forward. And I'm sure people would have noticed with all their software and all of that sort of stuff. We used to buy our software like that or buy our books. Now everything's online and you kind of have to rent and subscribe to things and So that's the way it's going with everything. And that's the plan to get us completely dependent because then we can be controlled. It can be you've eaten too much meat this month or we want you to try these other product and not use that anymore. And so there'll be all this sort of nudging and coercion, punishment and reward based on biometrics and digital IDs and so on. The jobs will just go because AI can do accounting, AI can do most things. And if you can just walk into a shop, buy your stuff, and the surveillance camera recognizes you and the process is in place to deduct what you've just bought from your bank account, there are no jobs needed. So most jobs will go. And that's happening very, very rapidly. The other day I went into a shop and there was just one security guard. In fact, he doubled as the cashier if there was any trouble because the system had been completely automated. And he also The So he did the whole thing in this little shop. And he was well aware that even his time as a security guard was limited. I mean, in that role as the only person. So we're being more and more isolated. And so what I'm getting to is I want to reassure people that there is another way. There is a better way. And we don't have to go along with this dystopian agenda. It's awful. But we actually have to be active. We can't just keep moaning. We can't comply. You can't comply with a bully. You can't comply with tyranny because they will just keep on demanding more and more and more. And you can't just get angry every time and keep sharing this angry stuff with angry faces and whatever. You actually have to do something and be creative. And you have to take action and consider how much you have contributed to the situation we're in, how much we have contributed And so the great free set is about really helping people reflect on small ways, the issues, the different issues, and then small ways that they can extract themselves or change their behaviors so that they don't add to the problem for others. So. In actual fact, it's wonderful to be able to speak to you being in finance, because I think many people, for example, might have shares in Pfizer or shares in pharmaceutical companies, and they might be complaining about or noticing that there's lots of people injured by the vaccines, and they might not realize the connection that actually, by continuing to support pharmaceutical companies, they're actually contributing to, you know, one is complicit to a degree. If you have to Put your money where your mouth is. You have to put your money where your heart is. And the same with weapons. Like, how many people? I think this is the thing we've outsourced things. We've outsourced our health to the governments and politicians. So they've made all these deals, they've infiltrated our health systems, the pharmaceutical industries. And so our options are, are pills and injections. Similarly, we've outsourced pension funds and the people in charge of those pension funds are just about putting how much interest they can get you. And so they are not morally motivated, they're motivated by money. And so you might find that your bombs, you're getting dividends off the bombs that are being dropped in other parts of the world. So it really requires people to take responsibility because we, at the end of the day, it's our willful blindness that has led to the success of these massive corporations they're dead entities they are anti-human and they do not have the best wishes the health and the freedom and sovereignty of humanity at heart and certainly not the future of our children they see our children as products that they can they want to turn into consumers as fast as possible and they have access to our children greater access than we have if they have gadgets if our children have gadgets. Yeah. So the great free set is I could show you the website if you like. It's a really gentle approach. Would you like me to share the screen, Emerson?
1: Oh, you know what? I can pull it up. I've got it here.
2: Yeah. So it's basically every couple of weeks, it's really aimed at at beginners. There are people who are way ahead and they've built their cabin in the woods and they are totally self-sufficient. They don't have a bank account and building communities, but this is really for beginners to introduce them to the issues at hand, the issues with the WHO, the issues with these negotiations to make WHO the dictator of world health and the impact of that on sovereignty And also the threat of this increasing tech world, the digitalization, but then what can be done about it? So if you go right down to the bottom of the page, you'll see uh, something just saying previous challenges. This has a series of challenges. If you sign up every couple of weeks, you get something in your inbox with a challenge. If you go right down to the bottom, so it is quite a long page, you'll see view previous challenges. So every couple of weeks, you'll get an email. If you click on that, you'll see the one on the left there, that was week one, escape the digital dungeon. And that's about how to take back more of your time from your tech. The second one, shop small for big change. That's about shopping in your local community and taking your power back from the big supermarkets that sell fake food. It's not healthy. It comes from far away and it doesn't support your local community. So that is really important. I mean, that's the other thing, you know, just thinking about all those big food companies and supermarkets that squeeze farmers, do all manner of things to keep food lasting longer. They are promoting a lot of fake food and food that's really bad for us, sugary food and all of that, and and treating their employees really badly as well. So we want to empower people to support their communities rather. And I can tell you that I really, really, go into a supermarket these days after doing this program now i buy locally i shop at markets once a week fresh veg and uh, meats and things there and cheeses and whatnot and so yeah it actually leads to a much healthier lifestyle as well when you shop local you're not buying all those uh, long life foods and preserved gmo products so, yeah, so it's about taking back control of your own health and your freedom and making sure that you're not going to be a slave to these supranational corporations.
1: Yeah. You know, you mentioned about willful blindness. Was that what you said? Yeah. The truth is, is I honored me speaking for myself. I didn't pay attention to. I've shared this in a number of interviews with people that I was kind of just a product of the financial system, you know, go along. There's a certain way you do things and that's how it's always worked. And what you're saying actually goes beyond like socially conscious investing, because there's also and I think this is the shift where people are starting to see that these things that all of us have looked at. I'll speak from here in the U.S. as kind of benchmarks of a successful life, very materialistic oriented, particularly for my generation anyway and tied to tangible things without necessarily digging in a layer into getting into the weeds a little bit to the things you're talking about. And I know for our little company, I mean, one of the things we've tried to, I shouldn't say tried that we have been shifting is this idea of being whole. And so we're a small firm. I mean, we manage a couple hundred million dollars of assets, which is, it really isn't a lot in the our scheme of things, but we want to be dealing with, we're sending out little gifts to our clients just as thank yous. Do we want to be sending out Starbucks gift cards or should we be going to Etsy and sending out something from some small business owner? It's that kind of stuff. And then, of course, the firms we deal with, the types of investment firms in, in this industry trying to get a wave. I mean, if you pull up any large stock on the New York Stock Exchange or even on the NASDAQ, the top five holders are all going to be World Economic Forum sympathizers. State Street, BlackRock, Vanguard, JP. It's the usual suspects. So it's very difficult to circumvent that. but Like you said, you make a little bit, you know, you do, we each have a little stewardship in our life and we can influence. And the more of us that do that, it does shift the playing field. I believe that.
2: Yeah, I think what we have to get people realizing is, yes, you can invest to get dividends as money. Or at this stage, you can invest and the dividends is a future for your children, because this is really is humanity is in grave danger. And the future for children is very dark if we do not do something. So
1: let me ask you this. What do you say to because I think this is a hump that some are still trying to get over. And even in my brain, it's hard to wrap yourself or the idea that there's literally this organized effort that certainly is financially motivated, but it almost seems like there's more. But what do you say to somebody who just has a really hard time believing that these institutions, the WHO, you know, all these, some of these ones we've mentioned, the WHO, I'm sorry, (laughs) The, the WHO, I guess is the right way to say it. But there really aren't looking out for our best interest, that there really was more of an effort to just take advantage of a situation, you know, at a minimum financial. I think there's a lot of other stuff that was going on. What do you say to somebody? I mean, where do you direct them? You know what I'm saying? I mean, because that's a big leap. And I think there are people who would just, like you alluded to, would just as soon not go there and just hope that this all passes and we get back to our, you know, the lives we were leading. Anyway.
2: Yeah. Look, it doesn't, certainly isn't about vaccines. I would ask people just to put that to one side. We're all in this together. Whatever's going on, we're all in it together. And I would suggest a starting point would be to look at our policy brief, okay, just lays it out, tell us what the main issues are with the WHO, okay? One of them is the fact that they support gain-of-function research, which is basically bioweapons research. So is it a good idea to have an international health organization supporting dangerous pathogen, the development and sharing of dangerous pathogens? So that's just a starting point. And if you just take it from there, read the brief, there's a summary of it as well, if this is... 45 pages, but maybe you want to just read the summary and take a look at this document as well, the WHO compilations document, because that is the WHO's document. And you can see just how dramatic, how much power the WHO would get in the event of another fake public health emergency of international concern, which they get to declare. You may or may not know that the WHO declared, the Director General declared a monkeypox pandemic in 2022. And that was a fake, fake. It really was fake. It didn't exist. And so he had to withdraw. His own committee did not want to declare it, did not think there were grounds to do it. And he went ahead anyway. So can you imagine one individual having so much power that's legally binding to declare? So that's a starting point. Just have a look at that. Have a look at the greatfreeset.org website. Have a look at the World Council for Health website. There's loads of information, loads of videos. We have a podcast every Monday. You will see we're a good bunch of and organizations all just trying to prepare a better way so we don't only have one option because people do need choice. We don't all uh, want to be pushed into this sort of dystopian way when there are other ways. And we certainly need to be making active choices now. So I would ask people just to look at that get engaged with that. And if you think, actually, I want an organization in Geneva to be telling us what to do in the event of another pandemic, which they declare, then so be it. Certainly, it's not for everybody. Everybody's been made to feel so fearful. And at the end of the day, people must just do what they're most comfortable doing. There's more than one route anywhere. And there might be something else along the way that starts to make sense to you.
1: Yeah, I like I read in the introduction, your bio about what we choose. And I think Freedom of choice, free agency, it's a a universal principle. I think, you know, there's spiritual overtones, however you want to look at it. When that gets removed, I think that's where there's kind of this conflict. And I will say, too, as... I've been able to meet people like you and others. There's been a comfort. There's almost like we're having a conversation and we've met once before briefly, but there's a connection. And I think that's the thing that almost John Waters, I mentioned to him before we got on, we talked about this idea of the social distancing was one of the first things that went, which in fact, you probably saw just recently in the news, Fauci was testifying to the Congress. He couldn't remember where that came up. There was no science behind it. It was just this thing. Somebody must have thrown out during a meeting, you know, and yeah, here we are. I mean, I've shared this before. We had an elevator in my office building where there was four little feet facing corners.
2: That was one of the first things I agree. There's a quote by Voltaire, which if you can make people believe absurdities, you can make them commit atrocities. That social distancing was absolutely absurd, and we did see atrocities committed. On You know, you saw people being beaten to because they stepped out of line or weren't wearing a mask or whatever. So you can see how that can be true.
1: But then on the other hand, you feel this connection to people, and you realize we are all connected. We all have this—again, I don't—you know, you could go off on a spiritual bent here, but I won't. But we're all connected. There's a level there of humanity that can't be replaced that just makes us who we are. So there's comfort in that, because in the end, I think that power, that— Whatever you want to call it, energy is what will ultimately help all of us rise above all this and get to another level of awareness, consciousness, whatever. So, you mentioned we have a little bit of time. Let's talk about better way as we kind of round this out. Because, like I said, that was, I only found out about it because my friend Alex Craner was one of your panelists. And I tuned into that and I was just blown away. Like I said, the type of people you had on there, the open messages, it was just very positive. And so, maybe you could share a little bit about that. And then you mentioned there's, we have a conference coming coming up this year that my company is going to be sponsoring one way or the other because I believe in the message for sure. So, yeah.
2: Thanks so much. Yeah, well, after realizing that more needed to be done, it wasn't just an issue around COVID because we'd seen there was issues with media, with the law, with science, with ways of getting healthy and all sorts, we put together a conference in 2022 called the Better Way Conference, which is very solutions focused. The conferences are very unique because it's in person. And that was the first time people had gathered in person internationally and people came from all over. We had Del Bigtree of the High Wire doing the emceeing of the event. And it was very short and sweet conversations, panel conversations, two to three hours with speakers just speaking for 10 minutes and then sharing that with the host. So very exciting. The Better Way principles came out of that first conference, basically how we all get along together without fighting and saying hurtful and harmful things. I don't know if if you know those principles. They're on our website anyway. We act in honor and do no harm. We have free will and are responsible for our choices. We're part of nature. We need nature to be well too. Spirituality is integral to who we are as human beings. So we thrive when our lives have meaning and purpose. We thrive together, value different perspectives, and we use technology with discernment. So those are the seven principles. And it's what we've been using around the world because the World Council for Health is an international organization with partners in 50 countries. And everybody seems to be able to live with those principles. So we held the Better Way Conference 2022, and then we held the Better Way Conference 2023, which was just as amazing. We had about a thousand people at each and we over sort of over a three-day weekend. And those panel conversations are as relevant today to anyone who's new to the story, but also those who are knowledgeable about everything. Those panels are absolutely fascinating. And they, as I say, two to three hours, far better than watching TV or Netflix. And you can access them for free on the website, betterwayconference.org. So if you want to get an idea of what the Better Way is about, the solutions-focused approach, it's really about acknowledging what the issue is. You need to know what the problem is first before you can decide what to do about it. But the conversations are all aimed at figuring out what we can do about the current situation to make a better world for our children. So that was Betterway Conference 21, 22, and 23. Now this year, everybody's been there. We are already getting loads of emails and messages to say, when, you know, can you put the dates in the diary? World Council of Health is decentralizing because we don't want to be another world health organization that's hierarchical and, you know, top-down. We are a grassroots organization, so we are decentralizing to make sure every country has their own Council for Health, and we already have established more than 20 now. We've got World Council for Health Japan, World Council for Health Australia, South Africa, British Isles is coming Soon, And the USA will be coming soon. And the aim of these councils is to decentralize further. So there'll be World Council for Health Florida, World Council for Health Texas and so on, and they decentralize further. So it's about empowering. Ultimately, every individual is the foundation stone of the Better Way. And we need every individual to be healthy. And if we've got healthy individuals, we have healthy communities, healthy states and healthy countries and a healthy world. And that's our approach. So the way forward for this year with Better Way conferences is to decentralize Better Way conferences to more and shorter events because we found a three-day event is very intense. It's wonderful. But we feel that more shorter events, we will reach more people. And that's what it's all about. It's all about the message so we encourage everybody to access the free resource we already have which is very relevant and we look forward to producing letting people know the program of events for the year as they come about and these will be a combination of short conferences detox fairs which i look forward to sharing more about better way detox fairs better way breakfasts and so on so there'll be a whole program and hopefully something near you
1: No, that's awesome. Listen, I appreciate the time and the candor. I am inspired by people like yourself who think about the greater good first before personal consequences, you know, and we didn't even get into, you mentioned you've been censored and these kinds of things. And I just, I admire you, Tess, Dr. Lowry, for your courage, particularly in the medical field, particularly in the last few years, because that's been where I think the rubbers hit the road. I mean, it's one thing for me to stop doing business with some of these mega wealth firms. I mean, it's just I don't take their calls or I stop putting money in their products. But that's one thing, but to literally take a stand against a problem that's just killing people. I mean, I don't know a nice way to put it and to, to start and really find an alternative and give people a place to go to start rebuilding. That's just admirable. And I appreciate it. So, yeah, we'll have all the links to these various websites that have come up in the show notes for people as well as the YouTube video. And again, I just want to thank you for your time and thank you for coming and appearing with me today on up Thinking Finance.
2: Thank you very much, Emerson. It's been great.
0: Emerson Fersh is a registered representative with and securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. Advisor services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and separate entity from Capital Investment Advisors. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. The guest speakers and the companies they represent are not affiliated with or endorsed by LPL Financial or Capital Investment Advisors. Individual tax and legal matters should be discussed with your tax or legal expert. Economic forecasts set forth may not develop as predicted and there can be no guarantee that strategies promoted will be successful. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. There is no assurance that the techniques and strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. The purchase of certain securities may be required to affect some of the strategies. Investing involves risks, including possible loss of principal.